Thank you, Village Adventist Choir, for offering that musical offering to the Lord for us to enjoy and to bless God. This morning, this afternoon, as we visit for just a bit before we open the Word, I want to encourage you to be praying for your, your place to be involved. For indeed, there are a number of things that uh, are going on that need either your prayers, your financial support, or something else. Uh, tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., a group will be leaving for the Arctic Circle. It's hardly a trip to Florida as the nighttime temperatures are down into the teens and the daytime highs are about 30. So it's not going to be a joy trip, and yet there is a group there that has a house they want remodeled next summer. We plan to take several groups there. A barge will leave much farther down the North American continent, and by the end of the summer it will arrive in the Arctic Circle. So this trip is very important because everything we need needs to be on that barge. And of course, we've got the trips with the schools. I really am looking forward to October 24 when we put a new roof on the older part of the original neighbor-to-neighbor building. Now, I told Pastor Page in the back hallway, my hope is to have it done by lunch on Sunday. So I have no problem with us ripping the whole thing off if the weather report is good and on Sunday at lunch, ending with a little ice cream social to celebrate. Uh, We need your help. God has blessed us. Uh, We've had many contributions there as well. And also, we will be going to El Salvador over spring break and continuing what we've started there. By God's grace, partnering with our sister churches in Indiana and Michigan, we've raised money for over 100 churches, which is well over a million dollars. And we are building a college so that young people can go to school. And it's expensive for them to go to Unideca, which is in Costa Rica. It's a good school. But if you are a day laborer in Guatemala or Honduras or uh, El Salvador, you probably can't afford it. This college is going forward. And so uh, I also want to thank the Lord for our pastoral staff that was the structure Behind the Change Day event, Christmas Behind Bars, we probably spent, uh, Pastor Page was probably over there close to three or four full days along with other staff. Appreciate Lemuel Vega. And uh, it was wonderful to see our college students enjoying the opportunity to be a part of ministering to those behind bars. Many things are happening, but many things should be happening. The Lord is coming. The word that closes out the book of Corinthians is Maranatha, the Lord will come. And every time I leave Campus Sable and I stare up at the sign, and it says exactly that, Maranatha, the Lord will come. Friends, we're not beating the air as if we have no object. This is a great controversy. We're locked in a battle, and ours is the privilege to play a part. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful Sabbath day. And I'm asking on it that we would have great hope that we would be made alive through your Spirit, well connected to you and to each other for efficient service. And while it is day and we have the organizations of school and church, may we serve you in the strength of numbers. And when the day comes, Lord, that we are no longer free to operate and minister and serve that way, may we trust you then as well. But let us work while it's day, for the night comes when no man can work. Bless us as we take stock of where we are in the scope of history 
And please anoint us now in readiness to hear and obey in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled my message this morning, Uno, Jeopardy, and Checkmate. Now, those three things have something in common. So if I was on Jeopardy and I said, Uno, Jeopardy, and Checkmate, you would say, what is a game? Yeah. This morning, I'm here to remind you what we're involved in is no game. And to be very clear, I want you to understand the devil goes about like a roaring lion, according to Peter, looking for somebody to devour. And he would love it to be you. The good news is Jesus has already paid for your eternal salvation. You have a home in heaven. You have a place he wants you to occupy. And I don't want to say a single thing here this morning to disturb anyone. Now, I understand that will be highly impossible because every once in a while we have to stop and say, Lord, where are we? And am I in the posture and the position and the place you want me to be? Now, having said that, I appreciated our two responsive readings put together, especially, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Do you believe in God? All right. Then trust Him because he who began a good and work in you will finish it. Now, the key to everything I'm going to say is, are you willing to be surrendered to Jesus? And he's going to just take you a step at a time. So if today in this message he taps you on the shoulder and he says, Ron, I've been talking to you about this. Would you trust me? And like the eagle that we learned about in the children's story, would you release that so you could fly? A pretty amazing moment there, staring at a a bird that's not meant to be a duck. But I think some of us are content being duckish when we're supposed to be flying like the eagle. So as we make our journey this morning looking at the signs of the times, I want to challenge you. Rest in Jesus. You rest in Jesus by saying, Lord, everything I am is yours. This morning, I want to remind you that Jesus commends those that know him not above those who know him. Take your Bibles and open them up, if you would, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. We have the story of a man who had been squandering his Lord's possessions. Luke 16, beginning with verse 1. says, Now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and his manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called to him and he said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master's taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do. So that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one to his master's, of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said, take your bill and sit down and quickly write out 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill and write 80. And the master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relating to their own kind than the sons of light. Listen, is Jesus telling the truth here? Are the business people into business? 
Are the NASCAR drivers into NASCAR? Are the basketball people into basketball? Are the educated people into education? I want you to think about this. Every person was made with a passion for something. Actually, they were made to have a passion for something. And what happens is, is that the devil comes along and he wants to hijack that passion for something other than love for God and love for their fellow men. And Jesus says to this, in using the story, he says of this man that he was wise enough to anticipate the future and prepare. Now, I'm getting ready to start a series of sermons on how to be ready to meet Jesus. That's not today. I want you to understand that Jesus desires nothing more to see you face to face. He longs to say to you, well done. But in the process of it, it would be hard for Jesus, who is a man and God of truth, to lie and to say well done, where well done is not the order of accurate assessment. So this morning, without turning you into workers for your own salvation, I'd like to challenge you to think about what your relationship with Jesus is like and how singularly focused it should be. And so let's come right to the point right from the very beginning. When you play chess, it's a game of strategy. Your strategy is to put the opposite king where it cannot move. When you play Jeopardy, you're constantly analyzing and making a decision on how hard you want the next question to be. But when you come to Uno, it gets a whole lot simpler, although there is strategy. You have one goal, and that is to get rid of every other card except the one, the one. And this morning, I want you to know something. I'm going to take you on a little bit of a disturbing journey. It shouldn't disturb you like it would disturb those who know not the Lord. But I'm going to show you some very disturbing things this morning. And my hope is that you would be open to the Spirit, tapping you on the shoulder and saying, Ron, are you playing down to the one card that matters? This one thing I do, Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, I press on to those things that are ahead. Keeping my eye fixed on Jesus, he would write in the book of Hebrews, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God for you and for me before he ever lives to make intercession. Can you say amen? There's only one thing on Jesus' mind. That's getting me home. That's getting you home. And there's only one thing on the devil's mind, and that's keeping you from getting home. Because this is the last way he can score a wound on his arch enemy, Jesus Christ, the one who suffered on the cross and whose heart is still heavy, waiting for his children to come home. So let's go on a journey. Signs of the times. Now I'm here to tell you the farthest I'm going to go back in my searching after signs this morning is going to be 2007, 2008, and 2009. Most of everything I'm going to show you has happened in the last five to six years. And my hope is this, that your decision-making would be such as to say, this matters most, this is going to have to go, how am I going to do it? Now, lest we get on the wrong track, we've lived in a strange age where somehow we've thought that the church should be the last on the list, and that's not so. The church should be as the apple of God's eye, and feeble and defective as it may be. It's the one object of His supreme regard. It is the instrumentality whereby He reaches a lost world. The church should be an extension of your family with your family. 
In other words, you don't need to leave your children behind in what the church is doing. You should be training them by involving yourself and letting them shadow and help you even in this very hour of earth's history. And while we have the opportunity to use an organization, let's use it. This is a church of over 1,000 members. Of course, only about half attend. But even if it was only 500 people, what can 500 people do that five can't do? And so for those people up in Barrow, I can't pronounce the new name of the town. That's the name I grew up knowing it as. That little bitty piece of land sticking into the Arctic Ocean. There's something that others need to do. And by the way, if you're watching online, there's 6,000 churches in this great North American division. And even if only half of them came alive to have some extra money to help those little places where they're stuck around the world or in the United States. There's more than enough for everybody to do, and the devil knows that. The one thing he's afraid of is that you'll be involved in the greatest work that has ever existed, the saving of another soul. This church has the greatest work on earth to do, and it is not to be stuck in an awkward position. Sometimes people say, I heard it just a few days ago as I was in a meeting with some of the Michigan district superintendents, you know, Christian education, that's the most important thing we do. Well, you know what? It is the most important thing we do. And it's not one bit more or less important than outright evangelism. And I tell the young pastors, never let your people pit two good things against each other. They're not opposites. They're working for the same goal. And our young people should be at our evangelistic meetings. And our church should be committed to the discipleship of its young. I'm looking forward to this May when our eighth graders, if all things work out, not only spend time on a wonderful class trip experiencing the far west, but they spend time in the newly completed Montana Mission Church ministering to the nationals of this country who find themselves in very meaningless moments in their life. And so whether it's through cooking school or the proclamation or whether it's visiting the juvenile detention center, there is more than enough to do. It's not that we have people sitting around that need to be twiddling their thumbs. It's that we're not as organized and focused and financed as we need to be to do all that needs to be done. It's time for the church to come alive. And today I'm hoping you think to yourself, what needs to change in my heart? What needs to change in my home? And what needs changing my connection to my local church? Because that's where it's at and that's where it's going. So let's start here. I'm starting with something that's only about six years old. If you see the uh, scripting at the top. The bottom says, courts and chaos as gay weddings begin in Alabama. Well, this is a real crisis. We've set aside one of the institutions of the pre-sin Eden experience. And in a country that was founded on biblical principles, yes, separation of church and state, we have this dialogue going on on CNN about the Supreme Court by a vote of seven to two, a very significant vote is saying that same-sex marriages can proceed in Alabama. And you say, Pastor, old news. And I say, well, in the scope of the rapid movement of society towards the abyss, you're right. What was so startling to me when I looked at this web page was how many people had viewed it. So get your number. How many people bothered to pay attention to this? Oh, yes, we rolled right on over it. Just another little speed bump in the amoral progress, if you can put those two words together for America. We rolled right on over it. And how many people watched this CNN event? 6,888 people as of this morning. No big deal. No big deal. Or is it? 
Perhaps the turning of moral systems upside down is a much bigger deal than we know. And perhaps at some point in time in the future, not too far, by the way, we're going to say judgments are in the land and it's time to get back to God. But let's keep going. Gender dysphoria. This is from the Mayo Clinic. Gender dysphoria is the feeling of discomfort or distress that might occur in people whose gender identities differ from their sex assigned at birth or their sex-related physical characteristics. Hmm, interesting. But let's go to Wikipedia and see how it was called just a few years before. Gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is the distress a person feels due to a mismatch between their gender identity, their personal sense of their own gender, and their sex assigned at birth. The diagnostic label gender identity disorder was used until 2013 with the release of the DSM-5. Now, eight years ago, this was considered a psychological disorder. I want you to say to yourself, how fast and how far have we gone in celebrating something that is babbling in the person? And I'm not here to minimize the struggle some might feel over this, but the confusion that is not only at one point in time not too long ago regarded as a serious problem for an individual's well-being and development is now not only celebrated, but laws are in place. And if you've watched any of the videos on the internet, fathers removed from the knowledge of or the ability to speak to their daughters who are getting ready to have sex assignment surgeries, not nothing to do with the fact that in adolescence you might have a change of mind before you get all the way to adulthood. But it's rolled right on bias. It's just another little speed bump on the amoral progress of a secular country. And of course, what we do rolls over rapidly into other places. Ecuador court approves gay marriage. There are some places that haven't followed us. Now, let's do a little equal opportunity offending. You know, the last several weeks here, I've been talking about issues of coercion in regards to medical mandates. And there are some who haven't liked that. Probably some of you have felt a little uncomfortable at times with that. I found myself in a variety of discussions with people. And in one of them recently, I said to somebody who said, well, it was political. I said, well, if I decided to get up and speak against abortion, would that be political too? Which side of the political mandate is against abortion? Just think to yourself for a moment. If the church cannot take on cultural issues and cannot be salt and light, we're in a very dangerous position. But the easiest way to ad hominem somebody is to say, you're this. I'm going to label you into oblivion. Now, I understand that some who listen to me have strong feelings about certain issues in society. You have every right to have those strong feelings. But at the moment you start disrespecting somebody else, you are no longer practicing the Christianity of the Christ I know. So you need to be awfully careful about how you feel about something and projecting that onto somebody else. Now, for all of you that have leanings a certain way, I'm about to offend you. Maybe. Perhaps you'll be Berean enough to say it needs to be thought about. What I'm showing you on the screen is parched earth. What I'm going to suggest to you is that no matter how you felt before about the terms global warming, you need to become honest enough as a person to wrestle with a phenomena that it appears is almost impossible to deny. Even President Bush, before he left office, acknowledged there was something to this. But for those that would like to ride along in the bubble of their own conservative blessed life 
and suggests it's only political haberdash, you better do just a little bit more thinking because the signs are all around us, and I'm going to show you a few. And whether or not you agree on the cause, you ought to be wise enough to know this world is wearing out like a garment. In other words, the world is dying. It is a sign of the time. And while I would love every day in Michigan to be beautiful like this one, I'm afraid that some of them aren't. And just so you know, little insight into your pastor, earlier this spring, when we were getting into June and it was very, very dry here, I'm praying for rain because, you know, food doesn't arrive at the grocery store by somebody waving their wand over something. Food has to grow. And for food to grow, rain has to fall. You can only pump water out of the ground in so many places and for so long before you create other problems. But let's just do a little bit of reflecting here. Here's a Joshua tree on fire. I had somebody tell me a unique story just this week as I was spending time with the district superintendents. They said, uh, yeah, I was talking to somebody in California. I'm not sure if it was a ministerial call that was being discussed. And the wife said, there's only two ways you're going to get me out of California. She said, one is my husband would have to lose his job, and two is my house would have to burn down. Well, the story is such that the fires came through, burned the house down. Husband did lose the job, and I don't know if the lady's thinking about leaving or not. Would it be possible that we could be hard-hearted enough to where God couldn't break into our lives no matter what? I'm asking you, don't focus on living in this world. You're blessed. Let's face it, you're blessed. It's the education community. Most people in this town have opportunities that other people, most, probably 95% of the world, would only dream of. You are blessed beyond measure. What are you doing with it? There's nothing wrong to enjoy it to a point, but at the point at which your enjoyment is the primary focus of your life, is it possible you're actually defaming the name of Christ and taking His name in vain? I want you to think about it. This is Lake Mead. All of the white rock should not be exposed. It does go up and down, but to get this far down, it's pretty problematic. And here's a pathetic picture of a polar bear off Norway. Just look at it. It needs ice. Yes, I know these things ebb and flow. I'm not here as a left-wing radical, and last week I wasn't here as a right-wing radical. I'm here this morning challenging you to be people of truth. And I'm going to challenge every single person before I'm all done, because I tell you what, there's a lot of hypocrisy on the right side, and there's a lot of hypocrisy on the left side. And there's a lot of people looking to get out from beneath the obligation of the three angels' message by kicking to the side difficult issues like forced medical procedures. You can't get away from it, friends. Church has a role. And if you didn't think the role was uniting the world, you must have your head in the sand because in just a few weeks in Glasgow, Scotland, they're hoping that this man will be there and the Climate Sunday Initiative will get a huge push so that people will realize the world needs a rest one day in seven. And Sunday is the day. So come on, little children, get on board. Pope Francis urges the nations to listen to the cry of the earth. H.M.N. Richard wrote a book once called The Cry of a Lonely Planet. It wasn't about the earth dying because back in the 40s and the 50s, we weren't aware that the earth was entering its geriatric and hospice stages. But now we are. And there are many in the world who wonder why half of the population in the free world, or at least in America, want to deny it. You know, there's a reason. Listen to me very carefully. 
There's a reason there are dialogues of socialism going on in America. Do you know why? Because capitalism without a conscience is just a tad bit out of control. And who is supposed to be the conscience in a society? The Christians, the Bible. And it's not like things can run on their own. If there's one thing about earth that you should know is that earth is the most imbalanced place in the world. And if somebody can get a leg up on you, they don't mind, most of them, especially without Jesus, stepping right on your head to get to the top of the pile. And if the church never enters the dialogues, even things that work maybe best with a sinful populace like capitalism, they still need some kind of checks and balances. The truth of the matter is, is that honest people can recognize truth on both sides of the aisle of the discussion. And when you forget or you can't do that because you're afraid you'll have to do your own free thinking, you're in trouble. God calls His people to be Bereans. And these things don't just appear out of nowhere. And while we're not to reduce ourselves in a free society to the Orwellian concepts of 1984 or any other such thing like Animal Farm, these are elements that do have to have legitimate discussions in society. There's a reason that people marched in the street after the death of George Floyd. Can it be discussed? Is their cause completely wrong? No. Are some of their methods problematic? Of course. If you can't engage in these kind of dialogues, I'd like to know why you think anybody on the other side of your echo chamber would listen to you. We're Christians. We don't get a label and give our thinking away to somebody else. Amen. We're Christians. And we allow our understanding to be expanded by those whose experience is somewhat different. We don't make our journey based only on experience. It's the Word of God. It's the principles and the precept of holiness. But as soon as you think you've got a corner on the market of what God's Word says, you're in trouble. Amen. God's calling us. And I'm here to tell you today unequivocally, I am absolutely certain the earth is dying. I don't think we'll be able to save it, but I also don't think we should trash it in the meantime, enjoying a, a ride on the good ship lollipop all the way to heaven. It doesn't work that way. And for people who don't know Jesus, they need to have a sense that we're sober-minded, happy, beautiful people, but we do understand that every action has a reaction. But let's keep going. Pope Francis on climate change, time is of the essence. You cannot listen to the news today and not hear that message, but let's go just a bit farther. Pope. Patriarch and Archbishop of Canterbury issued climate change warning. If there is a gathering spot for all the world, it's the saving of the world. And I want you to understand these things have picked up steam in an immense way, an exponential way in the last few years. And if you just go on living your life like you've been living it, you may just be giving your eternal birthright away without even getting a mess of porridge on the way. Let's go to something else, finances. In 2007, the stock market was running at a high of about 12,000 points. On September 29, 2008, which is just a few days away from its yearly anniversary, it dropped by 777 points. By the time it got to its lowest in the next year, it was down to 6,000 points, the Dow Jones. Do you know what it is now? Some of you follow it. I'm going to show you in just a few minutes. But I want you to understand something. I had a son who got married this summer. Wonderful experience. Added a wonderful young lady into the structure of our family. 
She's a young medical student. They went to Hawaii on their honeymoon. Hawaii is a very cautious state. But in spite of all their caution, they still want visitors to come. You know why? Not because they're the most hospitable state in the world, but because they still like people. Let's see where mine is. They still like people to get this out. Now I'm telling you something. There are two things that could change our world in minutes. One is an implosion in the falsely inflated value of the stock market. And the others would be if a drought came through the Midwest and took care of the breadbasket of the world. Either one of those two things would turn this world into a rapid, compulsory culture in a matter of days. And if you can't sense by watching the news how perilously close we are to running over people's persons in the name of the greater good, and if it wasn't for the fact that our economy is marching along and we can't get enough people to work, and by the way, people are making more money, some of them on unemployment, than they did when they were working for money. Huge problem. A moral culture won't do that. A moral culture used to say, you don't take something for free, you work to earn it. The church is AWOL in this culture. So for those that don't like the awkward discussions of the last three or four weeks in this church, it's probably time for us to become the rugged customers we need to be that actually shape the culture so the culture isn't reshaping us, which Romans tells us not to be pressed into this world's mold. But we're going to have to be the noblest, best, and beautiful people. So let's talk a little bit about our debt. Can we just print money and get away with it over time? The national debt grows by $14 billion a day. That's a million dollars every minute. Somebody's going to pay that back, or we will default and get rid of the dollar, and all the wealth that you have will be swallowed up in the Great Reset. Now, I'm not talking about the Great Reset that's conspiracy out there. I'm just talking about the fact there is a day of accountability even for governments. And who would have thought even 10 years ago that whole cities and counties could go bankrupt? Governmental agencies. But they have in our lifetime. And they've had to be bailed out. And as a matter of fact, you couldn't have shut down the world, including our own United States of America, and continued to pay all those municipal workers, except for the fact that there was a bailout plan where trillions of dollars were printed and promised so that those states could be bailed out. But who's going to bail when the hole's too big and the water plunging out is gushing out faster than anybody can plug it. Yes, we're in a serious moment. This morning when I took this picture, the national debt was at $28 trillion. Your part was 86000 I want to tell you, friends, part of the problem with our recent journey through COVID is we've looked only through the medical lens and we haven't thought about deaths of desperation. That's called suicide. And we haven't thought about spouse abuse and child abuse. And we haven't thought about lost businesses. And we haven't thought about the future poverty or financial implosion that's coming. Yes, you see, life requires people to talk. Talking requires people to be civil. Being civil requires some kind of culture and self-control. When you can't do those things, you're in deep, deep trouble, which is where we are as a nation today. Yes, we're headed 
into problems. Our current Dow Jones on Friday was at almost 35,000 points. So tell me, friends, in the uh, 10, 11, 12 years since we had the crash and we built back, did we all of a sudden multiply wealth that fast? Did, did your home savings account go up by two and three times in those last 10 or 12 years? I want you to do some serious thinking. Everybody knows this is way too high, and how it corrects, we don't know, because some things are still outside of human beings' corrections. But I want you to understand that because of the love of money, there's all kinds of other problems in our society. And when we love our money, there's problems in the world because there's places where your money should go before it's only for the bats and the moles. And it just might be that God taps somebody on the shoulder and day and says, your IRA and your 501 or 504 is big enough. It's possible today that God says to somebody listening to me, you know what, you've given the same amount to the church for the last 20 years. When's it going to change? Don't you think you should be aiming for the UNO card? Shouldn't it be incremental movement? These are issues that are real. And then we have corona. We have a, 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 a nation and all other nations of the world. This was the first time a modern plague put the world on standstill. Don't get used to it. Don't think it was a little blip. This very experience was such to show you that there is the ability for the world to cooperate and control like you've never seen it before. COVID-19, 2019 was the beginning. Here we are, 2021. Some of us thought it'd be over soon. Then we knew it wouldn't be over soon enough. And now we wonder if it'll ever be over. And the truth of the matter is there are people listening to me today whose jobs are in jeopardy because even though they've already had the disease. And there are some recognizing that that's immunity, but it's not good enough. And so for all of us that sit secure and snug in our pew, I want to say to you again today, you need to act or think for a few minutes like your job's on the line, your Social Security check's not coming because you didn't fall in line. And how about this? This might be the worst thing I put up today. Lawsuit targets Texas abortion law deputizing citizens to enforce six-week ban. Some of you may not be aware of this. Texas is attempting to overturn Roe versus Wade. And how are they doing it? They're deputizing their citizens. Now, this is different than what we had here in Michigan. I mean, I can still remember when Grand Haven, I really kind of hate to use the name, but I'm going to use it. I can remember when in Grand Haven we got the first little bit of news that you could tell on your neighbor and turn them in if they were doing something anti-COVID. But this goes a good bit beyond that because this is now weaponizing the citizenry to catch somebody doing something that for years has been legal. It's an abomination, but it's been legal. But now we're going to turn the citizenry on each other in a way we've never turned it on them before to where if I have a sense that you might be living a licentious life and getting an abortion, I can take you to court and sue you, me sue you, deputizing people to turn on each other. Now, if you can't see the ominous overtones of this kind of legislation, then you might be in big trouble. What am I saying? I'm saying that aside from focusing on the increase in earthquakes and natural disasters, I'm saying aside from the increase in 
white-collar crime. And murders and the unsafeness of our cities, there are some places you wouldn't want to go in some cities not too far from here. I'm saying in spite of all the usual things you hear talked about during a sermon on the signs of the times, I'm telling you, it won't be long until the echo of the religious and the irreligious will be. There are judgments in the land. I'm 57 years old. I've gone to the Boundary Waters for the last 35 or 40 years. I've never been told I couldn't go because it was shut down. We prayed, and by God's grace, two inches of rain fell, and they waited and waited until I think the Friday before we were to leave to open the place back up. We had a wonderful experience, and it rained while we were there, praise the Lord. But I'm telling you, the birth pangs are upon modern society. Man cannot fix it. And if it was only the social dynamics we're dealing with outside of the scientific we would have enough to say, lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. So here's the point. Here's where I'm potentially going to offend those that think, well, let me be careful. Here's where I'm really going to challenge whatever side of the aisle you're on, you're on COVID. Here goes. And by the way, I tried to get my mom to take the shot again, and she basically stopped me dead in my tracks. She's a nurse. She said, I've thought about it. This church is not anti-vaccine. But I'm going to challenge you whether you're on the right or the left. Here we go. If in the last 15 months you've watched this world go through lockdown and discuss all kinds of ideas, quite broad legislatively, including loss of livelihood over failure to take a vaccine, if you've watched all of this, if you've seen us print trillions of dollars, we have a four-point-some trillion-dollar national budget, we will print and put into the money supply that much or more. If you watch all of this happen and not one thing has changed in your life, then I don't care if you think that every mitigation that should be followed for COVID should be followed or you think it's a complete farce. At some level, you've simply attached yourself to an ideology and you, my friend, are not letting Christ be the Lord of your life and chart the principled course of honest reflection on what's going on. When's the last time you said to yourself, this family should have family worship? If you think about the birth pangs of deliverance, now might be a good time. When's the last time you said to yourself, this family ought to consider being at the prayer meeting? Because Jesus is coming soon. This church has something to do, and I need to attach myself to this church because by myself, I can do some things, but there's an impact that takes an army. When's the last time you said, I'm going to move my giving by at least 1% because I think Jesus is coming, and somehow I need to play my cards? When's the last time you made a change in how you're actually living? because you recognize the throes of deliverance are upon planet earth. And so for all the hypocrisy of the left and right as they argue over COVID, if we can't come away from this moment and say, you know what? Lift up your head. Your redemption's drawing nigh. Then it won't matter what side you're on. Because the truth of the matter is, God's people 
do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Some of you need to change what you're watching and how you're spending your time. Some of you need to change what you're dressing. Some of you need to change what you're eating so that you can be safe. No, so that you could surrender to the press of the Spirit. It says, this is holding you back. I'd like to give you the power to let go. I'd like to give you the prompt to connect with your church family. I'd like for you to take a risk. You think we're coming up to the coming of Jesus and have no practice with risk-taking? This must be the colossal error of our times. Faith grows by exercise, and for faith to grow, risk is involved. But how much risk is it when on your knees you hear God saying to you, I've been talking to you about this for a long time. It's now time to do it. If nothing changes at the end of the greatest pandemic of our lifetimes, and the only pandemic where the entire world has been shut down, if nothing changes in your life and you're waiting for the supposedly new normal, then you have a spiritual disease and a resistance to the presence of Christ. And you cannot, with all integrity, say, I'm really looking forward to Jesus coming. Because Jesus is a shepherd. It's a narrow way. He's guiding us on it. And he doesn't leave you to take one big run, long jump, right at the very end said, oh, I made it across the line. No, it's a step-by-step journey. I'm challenging all here today and all listening online. If you don't move, you won't move. And to borrow Tim LaHaye's best-selling series of books, there's a really good chance that in spite of everything heaven wants to do, you will be left behind. Now, I want you to imagine in the concluding moments of this message that you're on the earth with Jesus, the most controversial figure in Israel, the most controversial figure in the New Testament. And I want you to imagine that you have a chance to walk with Jesus. I want you to imagine that your children have a chance to sit on his lap and let him put his his hand on their head and bless them. I want you to imagine that you can sit at his feet and listen to him teach. I want you to think about those things because that Jesus, in spite of the arrogance and superficiality and pride of life of our society, still wants to do the same thing for me and for you. This Jesus who went to the cross and paid the price of separation from family and friends and rejection and ostracization by the church, that very Jesus went there to have a personal walk with you. And I know from my own journey that God is constantly looking to keep nothing between me and Him. And too many times I find myself just gently drifting off course and embracing things that would hold me back and hold me down. On this beautiful day created for you, this Sabbath rest created, I think, in a significant way to be a life capsule to get through sin. On this beautiful Sabbath day, Jesus says, I want a relationship with you with nothing between. Are you afraid of your peers? Are you afraid of financial ruin? Do you work nonstop because you think nobody's looking out for you or taking care of you? Have you fallen in with loving pleasure or ease? Has it gotten easy not to make new friends and connect with people at church? 
Is the urgent strangling the important? I'm appealing to you and everybody that watches this message online, the birth pangs of deliverance are upon us. And seeing Jesus was always intended to be the very best thing that could ever happen. I don't want to make anybody afraid. Fear and love are bipolar opposites. That's part of the whole COVID crisis. I don't want to make anybody stressed. This morning, I want you to know something. Jesus would rather die than live without you, and he still feels the same way. Is there anything that keeps you from feeling that way to him? He's appealing to you, and he's going to make your life a tad bit inconvenient. He is but he's going to make it wonderful. But if we learn to resist the promptings of the Spirit, we can callous our hearts to the strengthening voice of God in the end of days to get ready to cross that spiritual Jordan, walk that valley with our hand in his, and see him face to face. The only group on the face of the planet who go to heaven without dying The idea that you're to be afraid of what's coming is just so antithetical to the presence of Christ. Would you be afraid of anything? With Jesus in the vessel, you can smile at the storm we teach our kids. Are you afraid of the storm that's coming? Is Jesus not in your vessel? Is he not that real? Is he not impacting your ordinary life? Friends, it's simple, even though it's a little hard sometimes. But I'm appealing to you. What needs to change? Are you ready He alone can make you ready. But He respects your decision to let Him. May God help each one of us today on this beautiful Sabbath to have the beauty inside that's not afraid of the future, not one bit, and actually believes I have a providential destiny to help others know this God. This church has work to do. Fear or distraction can't get in the way. Love of the world can't get in the way. If it does, somebody should talk to you. This morning, it just may have been me. May God help us all. And may we live to see our dear Savior face to face. Let's stand together as we sing our closing hymn.